Welcome to Compassion, Courage, Consolation, Voices for St. Vincent's during COVID-19. In this podcast, we're talking to people who love St. Vincent's, love our staff and love the service we provide in health and aged care. We're doing this to support our compassion for one another and those we serve, to bolster our courage in this extraordinary time and to provide consolation amidst the challenges we're facing. And whilst prepared for St. Vincent's, we're sharing this series with anyone who might find it helpful. If you're joining us from outside of our services, consider yourself part of the family. You're very welcome indeed. My name is Dan Fleming. I lead Ethics and Formation for St. Vincent's. And it's with great joy and appreciation that I welcome my guest for this episode, Professor Erwin Lowe, who is Group Chief Medical Officer and Group General Manager of Clinical Governance for St. Vincent's. Erwin, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's my pleasure, Dan. Erwin, I wonder if I could start with a a question for you about comparisons. And I've put this to a couple of different people on the show. Things have radically changed in the way in which we operate our services and what we're anticipating at St. Vincent's and how we've responded. Could you tell me about a normal day in your working life, say, eight weeks ago and how it compares to today? Sure, Dan. Um, Eight weeks ago... Sounds like a lifetime ago, I think, to a lot of us, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, a lot has happened in eight weeks. But eight weeks ago, I think my usual day has been uh, dealing with things that are part of my business as usual type work, which is to look after clinical governance for Simmons in South Australia across the country. Yep. And that means ensuring that we provide the best quality care, that uh, care that we provide is safe. So it's it's a lot to do with ensuring we've got good monitoring systems, audits, um, making sure our key performance indicators and clinical indicators are on track. And then also then dealing with the uh, emergencies and uh, crisis that might come up, you know, in relation to adverse events and medical errors that mm-hmm. can happen in, in hospitals. Now that's my, that was my usual time, uh, day. Now, really, there is no normal, uh, as we all know, because now, and that was because eight weeks ago I was working out of my office, yes. uh, in, uh, traveling to work each day, spending a whole day at work, coming home. Now I'm working from home, uh, like a lot of us are, uh, trying to keep social distancing in place. And um, so now my day is really consumed by COVID-19. It's yeah. all about... Uh, coordinating and leading the uh, national response to the pandemic for our organization. And so it, every day starts off with an early morning meeting uh, at a group level. We have a task force led by Rob Beatson that meets and we all come together and we basically touch base and uh, figure out where our organization is. Cause um, we can all read the media, this whole pandemic, uh, is changing and evolving rapidly every day. Mm. Uh, on a daily basis, the Commonwealth government and the Prime Minister makes new announcements. We learn more about the virus each day. And so uh, we, are, we are not only one, wanting to keep up and react to new developments, but we also want to be proactive and, and continue to plan forward so that we are responding well mm. so that yeah so my my day is quite different now compared to eight eight weeks ago in fact the whole world is different yeah. compared to eight, eight weeks ago 
Absolutely. And Owen, you more than anyone I know, thinking about that point about not only being reactive, but also looking ahead into the future and learning from you during this period of time, you more than anyone have been following the scientific research about COVID-19. So what do you see in terms of the future in our community's response to the virus and what kind of challenges and maybe even opportunities lie ahead for us? Yeah. So in my role, part of how I believe I can add value is to continue to keep up to date with the rapid developments in science, uh, uh, scientific discovery around this novel coronavirus. Because, you know, literally four or five months ago, the world didn't really know that this virus actually existed. Mm. So it's a completely new entity. And so the research around the virus has been exponential you know i've seen a graph recently that showed that it 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 doubles every few days the number of papers have come out this is the most researched virus in the history of man at this point and um, you know the amount of investment that governments and private funds have put into it is is in the billions you know literally i mean bill gates himself funding seven vaccine programs himself um, and you know putting in billions of dollars so um the uh, it's the best of times keeping up with the scientific literature is hard in medicine but you know now we call it 19 because of the number of papers that are published and part of the issue actually for the scientific community is that a lot of the papers that are being published are being pushed out really fast. Mm. So, you know, you might have heard about the hydroxychloroquine yes. uh, debate that um, these, this, uh, you know, quite long-standing, well-known anti-malarial medication is, was found very early on potentially to be able to treat acute COVID-19 infection. Um, more recent trials have shown, you know, more recent kind of randomized controlled trials has shown that it may not has work as well as we thought, but all of them has, the, the papers that have been published have all been preprints as in they have never been, they haven't been peer reviewed oh, as yet wow. because because the peer review process can take months, can take six months to a year, right? And so um, people have been pushing out all this uh, scientific um, literature that hasn't been properly robustly peer reviewed. So to keep up this has been hard to to sort of sift through the 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 read from the shaft has been has been not not that simple as well. Um, so but where we know where we up to really is. Um, uh, we we know now the structure of the virus, the fact that it's got spikes. We know how it uh, affects the body. It not only impacts on the lungs, but practically every organ system in the body now. Mm-hmm. We know that it um, uh, creates an immune response that's reasonably weak, which has implications for not only herd immunity, but also vaccine development. Mm-hmm. We now uh, know uh, the genetics of the virus, the different strains. There are about 60 to 10 strains floating around. In Australia, we've got a strain from China initially, and now we've got strains coming from Europe and the United States. We know in America, they've got a very unusual strain happening there. And so we're finding a lot about it. And, and by understanding some of the science behind the virus, we can then start to get better modeling in terms of what we can look forward to into the future. So where we are up to in Australia is that we've, uh, and thanks to the country, thanks to Australians um, uh, keeping to uh, 
the rules that have been set forward by the public health experts. We've managed to implement very strong social distancing measures, very good hygiene practices, including you know, washing our hands, to the extent that we have now, in terms of actual numbers, are done better than our best-case scenario mm. that the um, government has looked at in terms of the modeling. And so um, we, you know, you would have known, you would know, Dan and our listeners would know that over the, this past, just this past weekend, we've had the lowest numbers of new cases, you know, no new case out of Northern Territory or WA, no new case out of South Australia. I mean, it's been remarkable, two cases out of Victoria. Mm. Um, so remarkable numbers. And so we've, we've done really well. And so what the challenge is now uh, before the government is to figure out the next steps. What do we do? Do we, because um, from all the modeling and all the experts out there, you know, University of Sydney, of Melbourne, the Greta Institute, they all know that there are broadly speaking three ways forward. You've got your elimination strategy or eradication strategy, which is what uh, New Zealand's approaches try to basically remove the virus completely from mm -hmm. the community by social distancing. Because if you have everybody locked up for two weeks, which is the incubation period, the virus dies. It has nowhere else to go. It just disappears. Mm. So that's New Zealand strategy. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the herd immunity strategy, which is the Sweden strategy. So Sweden is the only country that we kind of know of that has decided to not do any formal lockdowns. So what they are trying to achieve is to have the virus infect up to 55 to 60% of the population, which creates herd immunity in the absence of a vaccine, so that the, the virus basically can't, is unable to spread, because it, it spreads to uh, someone who hasn't got immunity, then it, it kind of gets surrounded by people with immunity, and it, it dies off as well. So that's their strategy, and it remains to be seen if, they, if that's, um, that's, that's gonna work. Now the government, the Australian government has said explicitly they're not gonna do eradication, mm. and they're not going to do herd immunity. So their strategy is really a one of, su of suppression, which is kind of in between. So their assumption is that it's, it's very difficult to eliminate it completely. So what we need to do is to control it, to contain it, to continue to have some form of social distancing measures while we wait for a vaccine. But in the meantime, to start to open up society because the economic impact uh, can actually start to do harm to people's health and to people's well-being moving forward. And then really the trick is what's the right level of restrictions we need to have in society uh, to allow for a baseline amount of cases happening, of people becoming unwell, and out of that a baseline number of people dying, and how many deaths are we going to accept as a society while we want to continue to have the economy running. I mean, that's the kind of ethical and economical and health debate that we're having. It's yeah. a long answer to your question. No, well, it's a co but, but this is the thing I, when I've become used to with you. It's always a comprehensive answer. And, I mean, it strikes me, especially that last point there, that all of us are in this situation of um, – trying to find the best way forward. I was just saying to a friend a little earlier on today that one of the definitions a great theologian gives of theology is that um, theology and faith are not like uh, a step in the, uh, a jump in the blindness or walking through 
the midday sun. They're more like a stroll through the twilight where you can see some things but you can't see everything. And it strikes me that this is exactly the position our governments and our decision makers are in now. It's impossible to see the future. And you reflected on that earlier in terms of how our lives have been um, so upended and changed. We do know some things. We don't know everything. So in a sense, we've, we've got to take on a disposition of trust and faith that we are choosing the best possible path we know how. And I suppose that's similar in, in leading the health service too. As the information changes day by day, we've got to continually find the best possible path that we can today, knowing full well that tomorrow there might be new information which changes things. You're absolutely right. And I think that's the challenge. There's so much that we do not yet know about the actual virus. We don't know how it uh, impacts some people. We don't actually know how long people are immune for when they first have the illness. There are now about 141 people in South Korea who've had the virus who are being uh, testing positive for the second time. We know there was a Chinese person, there's a case study published recently, who's had the virus for the third time. So no one knows if these are these are actually reinfections or reactivations of existing virus uh, viruses in people's bodies you know so much we don't know and um you know it, it's it's a difficult position to be in but i think everybody's trying to do the best that we can and i think um that's where leadership comes in you know people have to make decisions based on the best information available to them at the time. Mm. And and the key here is to ensure that as a society, we are understanding of that and we remain adaptable to the fact that the government might say, let's open up schools, for example. But, and then because the incubation of the virus is two weeks, we don't have to wait two to three weeks before any impact of any change yeah. shows up. And we need to uh, be ready to revert back you know, to be understanding mm. and to to be agile enough to to change. And the key here is society, and we're seeing this now, uh, the best and the worst of human beings. So, uh, you know, society now has to understand that a lot of the times we're doing this not for ourselves mm. uh, because we don't see the benefit for, because 80% of us who are healthy and well probably will get a mild version of this, although some may get a bad version, but the majority of people who end up in hospital, in ICUs, and actually dying are the elderly and the vulnerable, and we're doing this for them. We're doing this for our grandparents and for our parents. And so it's about learning to be, uh, not learning, but, you know, having, you know, being altruistic, not thinking about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I just read a study, actually, a psychology study that showed that it's the narcissistic people that actually find it difficult to... Mm -hmm to to um, comply with government <laughs> instructions because yeah. they, they are thinking about themselves all the time yeah. and not thinking about other people and the impact on other, on, on other people. I mean, we kind of see this in, in societies where um, your rights are the most important, you know, in America, for example, where there are they're, they're actually people protesting the stay-at-home measures. I mean, you actually see how it can pan out. I mean, I'm not saying that they're wrong because, you know, I think they are concerned about their livelihoods and the fact that there are more and more people now becoming unemployed. But we kind of need to work together as a community and come together for the greater good of everybody. Yeah, and one of the interesting features of all of that analysis is that the pandemic has shown us, I think, that some of our normal ways of operating 
have assumed certain things such as my individual rights and the good of all people are one and the same thing. And yet when we enter this new period of time, as you've beautifully described it there, Owen, the two may well come into conflict with each other. So if I really think that my freedom of movement or my choices about how I spend my day are the most important thing, it may well be that in exercising those things, I'm putting other people at risk. So it is a real, I think, test of some of those most substantial um, ethical questions for a society. What is the most important thing? What are the most important values? And, and how do we mediate between them when there are cases where the common good might take priority over um, my individual freedom of movement or something like that? And Erwin, I wanted to just pick up on this point in the context of St. Vincent's because one of the interesting things for me in, in this moment in time and beautiful things for me is that, I mean, our service has this long tradition of being concerned for the common good, which has an integral aspect of it, uh, of concern, especially for those who are most vulnerable. And one of the fascinating things that's happened I think for me in our services is the way in which uh, our people have responded in a way that was its almost epigenetic in the sense that our DNA has been activated. And it's led a lot of people to go, and a couple of our archi archivists have gone back and looked at the history of St. Vincent's and kind of seen, actually, we've been through pandemics before, and there's a shape to our response which feels very similar today that it did in 1918 and the 1970s with HIV AIDS and so on. And Owen, on that point, I just wanted to ask you, um, you've been with the St Vincent's family for a while now. Is there a story that comes to mind for you which captures, I guess, the best for St Vincent's that might give us something at this time and, and touches on those themes of compassion, courage and consolation? Yeah, Dan, that's a good question, really. I mean, I, I think I'll start off by saying that... Um, Probably there is no individual story that highlights the spirit of St. Vincent's, but I see, I see it in the individual stories of the clinicians that I meet, the doctors, nurses, allied health workers, the pharmacists, who right now, as we are talking, are putting themselves at risk to serve the community that our mission uh, has been established uh, for, you know, the poor and the vulnerable and the people who are suffering. Uh, I think they are the ones who are, who for me, live out the stories. They're the, the living testimonies of compassion, of courage, of um, consolation, you know, your, what, what your podcast is about. I think they are actually the hands and feet of our founding sisters of charity. Yeah. I, I think, as you say, you beautifully, you beautifully illustrated the fact that right now we're going through a crisis, a, a, a period of suffering, and it is also a period of hope because I think, you know, we we are living through historical times. You and I, everybody here now, this generation will be in the history books. I mean, you know, we, it's, it's, not a, it's not an exaggeration. And uh, it, it's, for me, I, I see it actually as, as, as a privilege to be living now, mm -hmm. to be able to have an impact on, you know, however small, on our uh, national 
and, and you know our, our place in the world now. I mean, we're living for such a time as this, then you and I. And so, what little that we can do uh, will have uh, repercussions to, to to generations into the future. And I think that's that's a privilege. And I think it's the frontline clinicians to me um, embodies that whole um, mission of our organization. But you know, you know, if you look at the story, it goes all the way back. Uh, to to Sister Mary Aikenhead, to our foundings, um, the nuns that that started it off. I mean, they they were they led the way, and I think their spirit lives on. And it's it's, it's such a, an honor to be able to be part of this movement, to be part of this family of um, people who are continuing that mission. It's fantastic. So I'm very pleased, really, to be <laughs> part of this whole ministry. Where I can come to work and and it's not really work, you know. It's what it's what you want to do. That's, I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I I, I, well, I absolutely know what you mean. And I yeah. I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me at all that it is in fact a, a privilege to be living through this time at a, a in a context in which um, we can help to lead a response. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. And and as you were speaking, I was remembering uh, something that Mary Aiken had used to say to her sisters as they were about to embark on their shifts each day in the hospital. She would say to them, remember as you're tending to the wounds of the sick today and, and providing healing and restoration and so on and touching the hands of the people who we're caring for in our hospital, remember that you're also touching the hands of Christ. And for those religious women who had vowed themselves to a religious tradition at which Christ is the centre, in a way it's saying precisely what you're saying there, that, that what we're offering, what we're doing is actually a privileged space, a, a sacred space, which is just beautiful. And I should note too, because there are some sisters listening to the podcast, I've paraphrased Mary Aikenhead in this, and I'm sure someone or other will send me the exact <laughs> quote. <laughs> but, but certainly, <laughs> yeah, yes, certainly the meaning um, is is what you've said there. That there is a privilege in both the heroic provision of care, as you've noted, um, on the front line, and also for all of those of us who are in positions of leadership. And when thinking about that leadership going forward, what kind of changes do you think, given you've got a, such a good grasp on? where all this has come from, where we're at today, and, and probably a good sense of where things are tracking. What do you think, what kinds of changes do you think our people, especially those on the front line, might experience in these coming months, and how might you hope that they respond to those? Yeah, it's a big question. I think, um, I mean, people can react, or pe and people can look at the glass and see a half-full glass, or people can proactively find the hope in the situation and actually be a positive change. I think my, my view is that the people who are part of the St. Vincent's family are the ones who have self-selected to want to serve with us. You know, they are, they are not, they see it as just not, not, it's not just a job for them. They come to work to want to make a difference. And I, and for me, I'm, the the change that uh, I hope to see in people is that, as we were discussing before, it's during the good times. It's easy to just be a good person, 
to be honest, mm. you know, because you know, there is no test, there is no trial. Uh, the, the answers are right before you and it's an easy path, but it's when the going gets tough, right? It's when it's times such as this where our true characters come to the surface. And I always talk to my team about this is now is the time when you really truly know who you are and when people around you can see uh, your values and what, what your foundations, what, what your anchor is, because it's true. To, it's not doing good weather that you need to have an, a strong anchor. It's during mm-hmm. storms that you have a strong anchor. And so my, my hope is that through this time, people actually develop has developed the characters they they get to know who they really are they're able to reflect on that uh that you know uh they tap into the true mission of our organization and i think they bring that forward that you know they bring it through these difficult times they bring forward and through the difficult times rather than reacting with fear um uh they react with love or they don't react even they just Mm -hmm. act they laugh, you know, they, they laugh because <laughs> mm. perfect love casts out all fear, right? Mm. And so I think uh, it's true to love that they can find courage and that they can see that it is now that uh, they can truly express um, their, their true um, self, you know, mm. and uh, show that, like the, the podcast talks about compassion, courage, and consult and consolation. It's true. It's true. The suffering that we can bring hope and relief to the people that we serve. And I think um, uh, one of the interesting things is um, there's a lot of anxiety around the availability of personal protective equipment or PPE. There's a lot of concern around the numbers of people that might come in the risks that our clinicians are, are, are being put and our role as leaders as the as you know as people who are stewards of the organization is to make sure that we uh, give them assurance that we are looking after them we are caring for them we have the right equipment in place we have enough supply and that we we stand alongside them that they're not you know because there's a lot of analogy around the fact that this is a battle and they are the front line kind of uh, people. But part of the problem with analogy, I mean, it's not, it's not a wrong analogy because it is, it is like a battle. Because, uh, you know, but um, the problem with the analogy is that in battles, generals put up privates and soldiers up to be sacrificed. Mm. That's not what we want to do here. Mm. There is no sacrifice. We we understand the risk, but the idea here is that you know we are in this together, and it's not about um, use, treating our frontline clinicians as cannon fodder and people that we can give up in a battle like this. Um, quite the opposite. Actually, yeah. <laughs> our staff are the people that we are serving as well. You know, they they are the people who in situations like this can be quite vulnerable. And we need to make sure that we're looking after not their physical health, but their mental health. And so, um, I mean, that's that's kind of like people's kind of character and personality coming up and and developing and maturing. But then in terms, there are are also changes, right? So one of the the remarkable things about a crisis like this is that it has forced us, society, as an organization to innovate. So now we 
doing a lot of our meetings online. We're using technology much better. We、uh, figured out a way not to travel as much. So, you know, I just saw a recent、um, survey、uh, of people in the UK, but also people in, in In, in Australia, that, and they are saying that you know, the、uh, society is much better now because of this whole thing. Because we、mm-hmm. are now caring for one another better, we are now looking after the environment a lot better because we're not flying around and driving around a lot. So you know, you've read articles about the fact that the skies have cleared up、mm. over Beijing. You know, you now people in India can actually see the Himalayas for the first time in 30 years. I mean, all those things. Significant changes, you know, and the the key here is those things that we have achieved through a crisis, we could have done before, right? Without、mm. the crisis, and the 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 challenge for us as a human as humanity is to maintain the positives that have come out of a false change process,、mm. uh, so that we maintain and keep it sustained. Not only for us, but for the next generation, because you know, and and I think、um, my hope is that we can do that. That some of the changes that we've implemented, you know,、uh, that have had positive effects、uh, for all of us, can be sustained, so that we don't go back to how things were, because how things were might not have been great. <laughs> but、yeah. we can keep doing, yeah, you know, keep going, looking forward, and、uh, keep innovating.、Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, that goes to your point from before, Owen, too, about the privileged time we're in, in which we can even ask those questions with a sense of confidence. Perhaps we could lead into a new era where some of those destructive tendencies we'd found ourselves addicted to really can be given up for a better future. Owen, what about yourself? You're holding on to an enormous amount at the moment. In in that context, what consoles you and what gives you courage? Yeah, I mean, I, so. One important thing for me is my faith, so that gives me a lot of peace.、Um, so I, I, like I was saying to you, I mean, it's it's、um, I I am in a very、uh, privileged position and role. You know, a lot has been given to me, really.、Uh, most most of it undeserved. <laughs> Right, so, and、uh, with that responsibility comes accountability. So I, I, I and as you say, you know, it, it it sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. But I work with a, a with a great team. I, you know, I have support at home. I've got an f- amazing wife, who's,、um, you know, without her really. You know, I'm still learning to be a better husband、um, and father. I've got fantastic kids,、mm-hmm. uh, but that, so I think that all keeps me going. I mean, what ultimately consoles me, I think, is、um, the fact that I believe,、uh, you know, I, I don't want to become hyper spiritual on your podcast, <laughs> Dan. But you know, I, I believe that God is in control, right?、Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, I, I'm kind of, I'm quite confident by the fact that、um, nothing's new, really. The Bible talks about pestilence and disease in the past,、mm. but ultimately、uh, we overcome.、Um, and、um, the key here is that we do it without losing our humanity,、mm. and that we continue to share the good news. You know, there is always going to be hope and. 
we will overcome. And that, and that gives me uh, my comfort, but also my courage to keep mm. going. Mm. And I can see how that fits perfectly with what you've said before and about our, our own people being the hope um, and giving witness really to this great story that we've all been invited into at St. Vincent's, founded on that faith tradition and now joined in by many people of many different worldviews, um, some of faith, some of no faith, but who see the goodness in being, bearing witness to the hope that a service like ours can offer. And with, with that in mind, Owen, um, we've got staff from all across the organisation listening and others in the community too. But what would you like to say to our staff at this time? Right this time, I want to thank all of them. I think they are doing an amazing job under a lot of stress um, you know, health is a complex environment to work in at the best of times. And more recently, it's been a very uh, frustrating environment to work in because of uh, just the complex way it's funded in our country, mm. um, the, the increased regulation at all levels, the difficulties in managing our, our, our complex um, industrial environment in terms of our workforce. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not an easy place to work in, both in public, private, and in HK. We all know this because we work in the environment. But then on top of that, you pop in a global pandemic, a one-in-a-century event. Um, you know, that, that creates an, a, a, a scenario that can be quite stressful for, for our staff. Despite all that, I mean, I'm seeing people just stepping up I mean, all around me, you know, uh, from uh, the cleaning staff, the kitchen staff. I mean, people who um, just come up, come to work, um, just dedicated and committed to mm. our patients, our residents and, and the wider community. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's humbling, to be honest, to see all that. You know, to see our nurses come to work, to see our doctors, um, you know, willingly um, stepping up and helping out their colleagues without asking for any reward. I mean, that's, it's quite remarkable. Uh, it's amazing. And I want to thank all of you. So thank you, St. Vincent's staff members, really, St. Vincent's uh, contractors, you know, visiting medical office, our VMOs, our, our contract nurses, our uh, all of you um, are part of our family. You you know, without without you, St. Vincent's cannot do what it does, which is to care for our patients, our residents, and the poor, especially the poor and the vulnerable. Uh, you know, so it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing, really, to 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 be able to be part of. Um, and as I was saying, it's, it really makes you uh, appreciate that, um, you know, the, that no matter uh, what you think, you know, people are, is, uh, are, are good and they want to come to work to do the best they can. And, and really, I'm seeing the best in, in humanity in our civilians and staff today. So thank you all. That's beautiful, Owen. And thank you to you too for your time today and for your leadership. It's been a great joy to talk to you, Owen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure.
You've been listening to Compassion, Courage, Consolation. Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music for this podcast comes from Kevin McLeod. His track Bittersweet let us in and you can hear his track Touching Moments 1 now. Kevin's website is incompetech.filmmusic.io and the music is brought to you under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. All of this information and more is provided in the text accompanying this podcast. Thanks for listening.